Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners, with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra. Live from the land that freedom forgot, <laughs> the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Welcome to it. Yes, show 611. We have a special guest. He's checking his list right now and checking it twice. But I want to start out with uh, talking about uh, we had an event Thursday night at the Grove in Cedar Grove. We had a Gun for Hire Platinum event. We had about 100 people. And I just want to thank Matt and Phoebe on their end for their planning and work. And I want to thank Tracy, my wife, and uh, Jason Schakowsky, the general manager of the Grove, for putting on a spectacular evening for all of us. And we had uh, so many Pro 2A people and businesses and products and services there. It, it was phenomenal. We had a bunch of lawyers, and uh, Dan Schmutter was there, and uh, we just had a great time. And Joe uh, Sapienza, who owns uh, the West Essex Jewelry Store on the Bloomfield Ave in West Caldwell, he donated a $2,500 piece of sapphire and diamond uh, necklace. Uh, it's worth 2500 bucks. He donated it for us to raise money uh, for ANJRPC, and we had a $50 raffle, and we raised $2,850, Sandy. Wow. That we're going to be we're donating to ANJRPC for our lawsuit cause. And uh, Paul Trotter sold a Gun For Hire NFT that he bought for $500. He sold it to Mike Candido for Jay Moore for $1,000, but he didn't take the money. Mike has to show him a receipt that he donated $1,000 to ANJRPC. <laughs> so so ANJRPC uh, picked up $3,850 that night because we found out that when Dan is going down to Camden for early morning uh, hearings and, and cases, He's driving down like 4 o'clock in the morning and has to show up there. And, you know, we have to talk to Scott Bach with the purse strings and stuff so that we can get him to approve to have him stay in a three- or four-star hotel. Yeah, Yeah, well, now we got $3,850, so we have no excuse. So if court is scheduled early in the morning, Dan is going to be staying in the Turn Here Motel. Nice. The night before. Very good. Yeah, where the sign, the blinky sign says, turn here, motel. <laughs> so I, I wanted Dan back on this week because I want to talk about what happened with the NSSF case a little bit. Obviously, it's not his case, but he can talk about it a little bit. Just a little bit about what's going on with the assault weapon stuff, what's going on with our two victories in January, and what the timeline in February, and, and what's going on like with the two legislators stepping in and how Dan perceives this and everything and he's going to just talk about the judge's directive for where you can and can't carry and what he feels as as we go into the pi stage uh, the other things that we're going to be fighting for and how we can all help so without further ado the third time in four weeks none other than two-way extraordinaire from the law offices of hartman winnicky in ridgewood new jersey ANJRPC's uh, 2A attorney, Dan Schmutter, welcome back with your new equipment. The uh, Red Roof Inn has a $3,000 breakfast buffet. Nice. <laughs> some Make pretty good hotcakes. <laughs> it's Make, like, Make your- it's, it's, unbe- it's unbelievable. <laughs> Even better than the food last night. And the and- food last night was amazing. I mean, unbelievable, really, right? Really amazing. Just, I mean, the food was great. It really was. Thank you, Anthony. I mean, uh, yeah, what thank a great you. The, at the Grove, they we did a jet. We did everybody played Jeopardy too, Sandy. We had a company come in that does actual. They have set up a whole Jeopardy thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was every school. Everybody had a, a phenomenal time, and uh, again, we the, one of the door prizes was a thousand rounds in nine millimeter. And you talk about paying it forward. So Paul Trotter. Gives his NFT to Mike Candido for a thousand dollar donation, right? And Paul Trotter wins the case of nine millimeter ammo. You see how that works, <laughs> right? You see how that works, though. That's great. That, that paying it forward, it, it seems to always come around. It's just a beautiful thing, right? So, Dan, uh, before we get into the Siegel case, 
there was a win. Uh, the attorney general lost again. The National Shooting Sports Foundation was representing the gun manufacturers because New Jersey was suing the, the, to be able to sue gun manufacturers, making them liable when their guns are used, like in a crime or something. Am I am I close to the target? Yeah, yeah. You know that was that's an interesting case because it's not a Second Amendment case. It's a case under the uh, Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, um, which limits the abusive. Uh, lawsuits that um, uh, uh, were being brought against the uh, uh, firearms industry years ago to to litigate them into bankruptcy. That was the pl- the, the strategy was to litigate gun manufacturers into bankruptcy, and so Congress passed a statute that limited the ability of uh, of the uh, anti-gun activists to drive companies into the ground through just through litigation costs, um, and. Um, this is this was a case that came that was brought under that statute, and um, they got a very good ruling uh, from uh, Judge Karashi, um, and you know he's a Biden appointee, and you know I know people like to, I know people like to predict, to try to predict the outcome of uh, these kinds of lawsuits based on which president appointed them, and unfortunately sometimes that works. Um, but not always, and it sort of goes to show you that judges can judge, and that judges can do what they're supposed to do, and they have the ability to analyze and understand. And you know, it, it, this sometimes things come out the right way. Uh, this was very nice to see. Uh, you know, that this is this is an example of um, how New Jersey is not getting away with this stuff. <laughs> And this judge, again, I know everybody was charged up because it was a Biden appointee. He was also a judge that when he was appointed, uh, Phil Murphy lauded in 2021 because he's a, he's Muslim because everything is identity politics, where me, I just want to judge, judge a judge on their record and not the color of their skin or what clothes they wear or whatever. But, but you know, he came out with this ruling. And again, so that was a, a little bit of a knockout punch for, for Blackkin. And then he also had the FPC loss with Bum, and then with Car- Judge Williams in putting the cases together, and you uh, with the, you know, with the the restraining order and everything. So it hasn't been month. January wasn't a very good month for the state of New Jersey and uh, taking our civil rights away, was it? You know that that's true. And I, just for the sake of your listeners, I want to uh, just um, ask for some feedback on whether my audio sucks or not because apparently on the last show my audio was pretty <laughs> awful i got a lot of people telling me it really really sucks. Audio we, we sucks. passed a collection oh, yeah, yeah we we passed a collection plate at the dinner last night for dan and we raised six dollars and 43 cents and he got new headphones in which he sounds you sound so much better today i appreciate it you sound so much better it's, now before we get into the weeds with dan uh, real quick, I reached out to Knappen because the uh, the uh, the uh, others and the braces is his wheelhouse, and he's going to be covering in detail on the Gun Lawyer podcast. So I'm not, but I just want all of our listeners to understand that it it it's a precarious position we're in right now with Knappen because uh, you know from Knappen because uh, it's not clear how New Jersey is going to handle this during the 120 day rule while you're possessing it because you can't own an SBR in New Jersey and it's impossible to get an NFA stamp or whatever NFA stamp so anyway Knappen says tune into show he will give you more information obviously lawsuits have been flying hopefully there'll be a restraining order maybe something similar that happened with the bump stock uh, where it's overturned I don't know but I don't, I'm not the lawyer and this is not Dan's forte we didn't have him on the show for this so as far as pistol braces and others and sbrs please tune into the gun lawyer uh podcast and evan knappen will cover that in detail again that's his wheelhouse i'm about busting heads making people laugh and having dan on the show today and today dan's on the show so dan talk to us some more so four wins in one month what's coming up now what's the schedule look like and how do you feel i kind of feel the ag is very aggressive that with the with the case uh dates they gave us does that work you or not no i mean we 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 agreed on uh dates um we submitted a proposal to the court the way the way this stuff generally works is that uh the part the the court will usually ask the parties to submit a proposed 
uh, briefing schedule. And the reason for that is that the lawyers and the parties have constraints that they need to be able to deal with. And so rather than the court just making up a schedule, typically the court will say to the parties, okay, talk, talk amongst yourselves. It's called you know meeting and conferring. You have to meet and confer. Um, agree to a schedule and propose it, and if, if the judge is okay with it, the judge will uh, order it, and if for some reason the judge is not okay with it, the judge may either make changes or may have, get the parties on the phone and say, you know, uh, uh, this is too fast, this is too slow, whatever. Um, so um, we uh, we met and conferred and we spoke and we came up with a schedule uh, that was uh, proposed to the court. Uh, as, of the, uh, as of this taping, the judge has not uh, I don't believe the judge has approved it yet, uh, but basically what will happen is the judge, if the judge approves it, then she will also identify a hearing date. Um, we don't get to pick the hearing date. The judge picks the hearing date. Um, and then we'll know, and then you, we'll know you, when we're getting back. You don't court. feel they're, they're being too aggressive, like maybe they have something up their sleeve or something? Well, uh I'm just I'm just no, concerned. They, it seems to be going too fast and too easy. And, you know, after 31 years of getting beat up, I'm, I don't know. Well, but these are these are expedited proceedings. Don't forget, you know, the temporary restraining order is temporary, um, and so you got to move it on to the preliminary injunction stage. And uh, you know, preliminary injunction is also supposed to move uh, relatively quickly. I mean, it depends, right? I mean, it it, all, it depends on the situation. Don't forget, in the magazine case, the preliminary injunction proceeding went on for many months, um, and that's because um, I mean, well, we had a we had discovery, we had depositions. And we had a trial, uh, but the law didn't go into effect right away. And so uh, there was time to do all that stuff before anybody's constitutional rights were uh, violated. And so since there was a delayed implementation of that law, then there was time within that time frame to do uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Here, uh, most of the provisions are already in, in effect. And so there's already um, people's constitutional rights are already being violated. And so there isn't necessarily the time to sort of leisurely uh, do this stuff in a leisurely fashion. We, we kind of have to get it done. So I think the uh, I think the schedule that we've proposed makes sense. Um, hopefully the judge agrees and uh, she'll set a, a hearing date based upon uh, what we've proposed. Okay, uh, and how you feeling about maybe they have any tricks under their sleeve? I'm I'm just concerned, man, this, with the state because they keep saying they have more, and you know, uh, Judge Bum kept asking them, "Well, if you have it, why don't you show it to me? Why why keep it any secrets? Could there be could they be holding stuff for the PI stage? Have you seen that in your career? You mean intentionally holding it back? I, yes. I don't I don't I don't see any reason why they would do that. I, I would think that they would have if they had it. They would have wanted to introduce it at the TRO stage because they wouldn't want to risk that by holding something back, they end up with a TRO against them, which they, which they did. So I, I would be very surprised if they had intentionally held it back. It's certainly possible that they could find something new that they didn't know about before. You know, they it's possible that they're doing new research um, and they're digging elsewhere and maybe they'll say, oh, we found this, uh, you know, this new statute that we want to cite. So that's certainly possible. I mean, that, I, you know, that's, that's, certainly that's, that's what I thought. I thought that they put everything out that they had to try to stop it in its tracks right there. And I just felt, again, unprofessional opinion, that Angela Kai was desperate and but trying to buy time and just telling the judge, well, we have more. We're, you know, we're, and maybe figuring she could dig up some more or, or have some more, you know. But, yeah, it just was – I found it concerning because I'm just afraid that all of a sudden they seem but, – but here's the other angle. Could they also be in a rush to expedite it so they could appeal it to the Third Circuit? Is maybe they feel they're they're done at the, they're under Judge Bum. They feel they're going to lose uh, bigly, so they're going to take their shots at the next higher court and an appeal. Could that be a strategy? Well, but that wouldn't that wouldn't be a strategy to shortcut the record here in, in this court, right? They uh, they should want to take their best shot here, and if they lose, then they'll take it up to the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. But that wouldn't be a reason to shortcut. Um, you know, to 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 hold back on the record 
in the district court. I mean, they would want to put the best record in they can, and then if they lose, they go up to the Third Circuit to see if the Third Circuit has a different view of what the record looks like, or you know, if they think that the judge that the judge made a mistake or did something wrong or didn't consider something they should have or got the law wrong, any of those things. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why an appellate court might reverse or vacate what the judge did in the trial court. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but now, is there a chance, it, so let's say you win a bunch more stuff in the PI stage, and uh, they appeal to the Third Circuit. Is there a chance the Third Circuit could get rid of the permanent injunction while they're reviewing it? They could. What, what we would expect them to do, assuming that the preliminary injunction uh, keeps some or all of the restrictions that are in the uh, the uh, restraints that are in place, uh, and perhaps even may add to them, um, they would no doubt the state would no doubt uh, appeal and seek what is called a stay pending appeal. And what that means is they'd ask <clears throat> first. They would, first they have to ask the district court. Um, the district court would probably, well, the district court can deny it or grant it. Uh, a, a stay pending appeal is basically saying, we filed an appeal, we uh, um, or we're going to file an appeal if, if you're in front of the district judge, and we're asking that the ruling be set aside temporarily while we're appealing. And so the idea would be that the injunction would be, would be set aside during the appeal process. So there would be no injunction until the uh, uh, Third Circuit rules. Now, the first thing you have to do is you have to first ask the district judge to stay the ruling pending appeal. And if the district judge denies that, uh, which which they usually do, they don't always, but they usually do only because the one of the part of the standard is that the uh, person asking for the stay pending appeal has to show um, a likelihood of success on the merits of the appeal. And of course, if the trial court ruled against the appealing party, um, at the trial level, well, then they don't think that the appealing party has a likelihood of success on the merits. Otherwise, they would have ruled the other way, most likely. So you usually uh. Uh, usually don't, but so, sometimes sometimes the trial court will give the stay uh, under, under appropriate circumstances, but normally you don't get it. And then you have to go to the appellate court and ask for a stay pending appeal. So you you say, the I asked for the district court to, to, to grant a stay. They denied it. And so now we're asking you for a stay pending appeal. And then it would be up to the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit to decide, should the injunction remain in place while we're reviewing this, or should it be set aside while we're reviewing this? And then they would decide that. And then and then they would hear an appeal. Either way, they would hear the appeal. Yeah. Now that Judge Bum has become the chief judge of the appellate court, there's no chance she's going to move our case to somebody else, is there? Normally, um, th- there is always a chance that cases can get moved around. It happens. Cases get moved around, you know, for all sorts of administrative reasons. Uh, for example, the mag- the um, our assault firearm case got transferred over to Judge Sheridan, who's the same judge hearing the magazine case. Um, and just sort of just speculating why that happened, but um, you know, Judge the reason Judge Bum became Chief Judge is because the previous Chief Judge Judge Wolfson retired. Well, Judge Wolfson had a caseload, and so when a judge retires, uh, the their caseload has to be distributed to other judges. So it's very possible that the reason the um, the fi- the assault firearm case got moved is because it's, Judge Bum may have been trying to reallocate Judge Wilson's caseload and had to kind of you know sort of move things around and figure out kind of even out the caseload and distribute them in a in an appropriate way and so one of the once one of those steps might have been saying okay I'm going to move this to Judge Sheridan because he's got another one of these cases so I'm going to give him this one um, you know and, and there's a motion to consolidate so maybe this makes sense you know I, look I'm not, I don't want to I don't want to read any try to read anybody's mind but I'm I'm just sort of speculating that that may have been why. Uh, and so, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why cases get moved around. You know, it happens. So I, I, there's no way to predict it, uh, but things do happen from time to time. So while while we were talking about this, then let's just talk about the uh, assault weapons ban right now with the case. So what what's going on with that case right now? Well, we don't have a ruling on consolidation. Just to remind your uh, listeners, um, the state moved to consolidate the two assault firearm cases, our case, which is Elman v. Platkin, and the other case, which I believe is a FPC case, Cheeseman v. Platkin, to consolidate both of those 
into the older magazine case, which is ANGRPC mm-hmm. versus Platkin. Um, we argued that, uh, uh, but we but it had, there's been no decision yet, um, and so we don't know we don't know what the judge is going to do. Uh, so we're waiting, you know, waiting for a decision on that. But as I said, just sort of as an interesting update, the, although no consolidation decision has been made, um, the Elman case has been moved to Judge Sheridan, the same judge as the salt uh, as the um, magazine case, and so the same judge is going to be hearing those two cases, whether or wh- or whether they are consolidated or not. Um, and if, that, and ah. if they're not consolidated, that means they're going to be on completely separate tracks. They'll be completely separate. Um, if they're consolidated, they'll be they'll be heard uh, and dealt with together, like the Coons case and the Siegel case. Wow, interesting. Uh, and we don't know any timeline on any of those yet, right? We don't. No, we don't. Ugh, you're killing me, bro. You know that, right? You're killing me. Absolutely killing me. Well, I'm going to have uh, to not so, kill you if I can avoid it. <laughs> so, okay, so all of those cases going along well. Um, anything we can help you with? Anything you're looking for or anything right now that you want to talk about or no? Uh, no, not not at this point. Um, okay. you know, we are, we're gearing up for the preliminary injunction stage, as I told you. Uh, we, we proposed a schedule. Um, and if the schedule that we proposed um, is accepted by the court, then the, mo- the, pay- the all the briefs and everything will be fully uh, filed as of February 21st. That's the date for the last brief to go in. And then the judge will, um, there will be a hearing at some point thereafter. It might be that week, it might be the following week. I mean, that's up to the judge. So, uh, you know, we're, we're getting ready to gear up for that uh, for that stuff. And the hearing, both sides will be down there in front of the judge, and then we await her ruling, and her ruling is for the the final ruling, permanent injunction? No, it's, explain a, it's, a little the, bit, it's the preliminary injunction. So let preliminary me explain, yeah, let me explain to your listeners yeah. what each of the different stages are in a case like this. Cool. Not every case starts with a TRO or a preliminary injunction, anything like that, but, but a case like this will often do so. So... Uh, and I think I may have talked about this in the past, but it doesn't hurt to talk about it again for people who either don't remember or may have missed it the last time. So uh, a temporary restraining order is essentially just an emergency uh, injunctive uh, uh, application saying, Judge, we need to get in there immediately. We need injunctive relief. We need it now. It's really, really important. Um, we're being irreparably harmed right now, and we've got to get relief. It's really important. And so, you know, sometimes... Um, uh, TRO applications are heard ex parte, meaning without the other side there. You just make the application, and you're asking the judge, just just grant this for now. We don't have time to brief it. We don't have time to argue it. We just here's our papers, uh, here's our complaint, here are our affidavits. We got to have relief right away. Um, and you know, in those kinds of cases, it's those are sort of the boat is about to leave the harbor type cases. You know, judge, if you don't restrain the boat from leaving, it's going to be gone. And we'll never get it back. That kind of stuff. Or so-and-so is going to drain the bank account and there will be no money. The corporation will have to file bankruptcy and will be whatever. So these are really sort of hair-on-fire type of emergencies. Uh, that's that's the TRL. Okay. And sometimes there is time to, to fully brief and argue, uh, which is this case. This case, um, although um, the, the uh, plaintiffs were immediately harmed because some of the very egregious um, aspects of the law went into effect immediately, um, and so therefore we needed a TRO. Um, there was nevertheless time to file briefs and have argument, and so we did have briefs and have argument, and so it wasn't uh, it wasn't what we like I said what we refer to as an ex parte TRO, uh, but it was quite urgent because people were having their constitutional rights uh, violated. Uh, you know, the entire time. Um, and that basically gets you to the next phase, which is the preliminary injunction. The preliminary injunction is the request to the court to say, we need these we need these restraints. We need this law to be set aside while we litigate the case. And you know, litigation can take years. And so the idea is like, look, we can't we can't spend the next, I don't know, two years or however long the case lasts having our rights violated. We need 
this law to be set aside while we're litigating. And if we get to trial, and if we win, well, then we would want a permanent injunction. If we lose, well, then the injunction gets lifted. But we can't, we can't, you know, be here for years um, while we wait, you know, while while our rights are being violated. So, so that would be a preliminary injunction. So the TRO basically is, you know, a handful, a few weeks gets you to the preliminary injunction. The preliminary preliminary injunction gets you through the rest of the case until the end, and then at the end of the case you hope to get a permanent injunction, and that's forever. Um, so it's really those kind of three phases. Right now, immediately for you know a few weeks or however long, then during the entire case, that's the preliminary injunction, and then permanently, that's at the end of the, end of the case. That's perfect. Sandy, how are we with time? We are good. We are about maybe four minutes. Oh, we still have four minutes? Yep. Beautiful. You're always rushing me. So I want to talk, Dan, um, you know, the, the questions we have, uh, obviously, you guys at ANJRPC have done phenomenal work, and everybody should be donating to ANJRPC and NRA. Obviously, we've talked about that a million times. So you're trying to get more clear definition from the judge, right? You filed something, more definition for what was it, like playgrounds or something? Right. So. Am I right? Yeah. So, so um, yeah. Let me let me address what happened there. So the judge's ruling. So the judge gave us some good relief on the TRO. We're very pleased with what with the relief we obtained. Uh, obviously, it's only temporary, but we're, we're we were pretty happy with what we got. But we didn't get everything. Um, and that's okay. You know, we have we have another shot at the uh, preliminary injunction stage. One of the things we did not get was a TRO. Uh, restraining enforcement of the prohibition of carrying uh, playgrounds. And the ruling, uh, the judge's ruling was basically that there is an intersection between playgrounds and schools. Now, we did not challenge schools. If you recall, we challenged the, the, the broad language um, of the statute that might cause um, enforcement of the school prohibition to go beyond where it really should go, um, and we challenged what appeared to be an ambiguity in what counts as a school, but we didn't challenge schools per se. Now, um, so the judge ruled that there's an intersection between playgrounds and schools, and schools are mentioned in Heller and Bruin, and so she found that if if it's legitimate to, uh, if it's legitimate to, um, to prohibit carrying schools, then she was going to deny relief on the TRO application with respect to playgrounds because of the playgrounds intersection with schools. Now, we submitted a letter. We found that a little bit unclear um, because we weren't sure, you know, there, there are certainly playgrounds that are connected with schools. Um, there's schoolyards. There's playgrounds in, uh, in, you know, that are, you know, uh, that are uh, part of schools. But of course, there are plenty of playgrounds that are, have nothing to do with schools. You know, you have playgrounds in a park, in an ordinary park. You yep. have playgrounds that are that are themselves parks. So we weren't 100% sure when the when the judge ruled that playgrounds intersect with schools. We thought maybe what she meant was that she was denying us relief for those playgrounds that are part of schools, but that we should get relief for standalone playgrounds that are not part of either standalone playgrounds or playgrounds that are within ordinary parks. We weren't 100% sure about what the court meant. So we, we submitted a letter asking for clarification on that issue. And what we said to the judge was, you know, if you me if you meant only to deny relief for playgrounds at schools, but not other playgrounds, then we, we'd ask you to clarify the order and just say that, you know, we, we, we have a TRO for regular playgrounds, but not a TRO for schools. And the, the court responded very quickly and said, no, I meant to deny the TRO for all playgrounds. Now, again, this is only for one stage. We, we have the right to revisit playgrounds uh, uh, at the preliminary injunction stage. And in fact, the court in in her ruling, the judge specifically asked for additional briefing on playgrounds. And so it sounds like the judge is looking for some additional analysis to sort of figure out uh, how this, uh, how playgrounds should play out, no pun intended, 
um, and how this nexus, this sort of partial nexus with schools, affects how the court should rule at the next stage. So we're we're you know we're we're we, as far as we're concerned, the playgrounds are still up for grabs, um, and we think you know we think that we have a good shot at getting playgrounds uh, at the preliminary injunction stage, and we'll see what happens. You know, we'll make our arguments, the state will make their arguments, and the judge will make a decision. Um, but the judge, you know, it's pretty clear the, that the, this was not a permanent decision. This was a denial on the TRO, and that we're going to be revisiting it at the preliminary injunction stage. So as an outsider looking in, the judge seems to be very, very responsive. Uh, would you agree? Like, is this normal that judges are this responsive where you get answers like the next day or no? Uh, some judges are very responsive. Some judges are very not responsive. I've been in front of judges that ignore, I mean, that just are not responsive at all. I, you know, I have a case where we can't, we can't get the attention of the judge ever. Um, it's really you know, pretty terrible. But this judge is very on top of this case. Um, this judge is very focused on the issues, very focused on the record, very focused on the claims and the arguments on both sides. Um, and, and you look, this, there's really, you can't ask for much more. I mean, you, you can't ask for anything more than a judge that is very, very focused on, on everything and paying attention. And this judge is paying attention. Uh, you know, and, I mean, and Judge, we're doing judge the best Williams we was pretty, at- Judge Williams was pretty attentive too. Absolutely, that, that, that's correct. We've we've done very well in terms of getting getting good judges to really focus on the record and on the issues. So these judges have done really well. Beautiful. Diane Pruitt, founder, Guiding Reigns Equine Assisted Therapy for veterans, first responders, and their families. Another incredible activity that we've done. We had them work in teams um, where they had to get the horses through the obstacles. No lead line, no touching, uh, but had them carry what we called a bucket of burdens. And we actually had them write on a sticker two goals and two burdens, you know, of each team member. And the goal, the only stipulation was that you could never set that bucket down and that you needed to exchange the bucket. Once you completed an obstacle, then I would hand it off to you. And we had like four obstacles. And so I observed and we watched this team go through this whole process. And when uh, it was a female veteran. She never let that bucket go. And once they completed an obstacle, we asked them to, to take a rock or go out and set it down the obstacle. Never unloaded a rock. Finished the whole activity. I asked her how that went. She said, oh, it went great. You know, the horse did everything. And um, yeah, we feel like we really succeeded and we really feel good about it. And uh, she's standing there holding it. And I said, uh, you're still holding that bucket of burdens. And again, it was... She looks down at the bucket and looks at me like I had hit her between the eyes. And it just, again, the tears started to flow. And I said, you carry it all? She said, I sure do. Carried all those dreams, all those goals, and all those burdens, but would not hand it off to somebody else or unload it. That's that magical part I can't explain. You can help keep this life-changing and vital program alive for veterans, first responders, and their caregivers. Won't you please help? 100% of your one-time or recurring tax-deductible contribution goes directly to transforming the life of a deserving, disabled brother or sister in arms. Let's not turn our backs on those who have given themselves to preserving our liberty and rescuing us from harm. Please join me and the scores of other veterans and first responders who are stepping up to help our fallen brothers and sisters. Go to guidingreigns.org. See what they're accomplishing and consider helping us save this program from extinction. Because if it disappears, so does hope for so many families just like yours. Guidingreigns.org. G-U-I-D-I-N-G-R-E-I-N-S dot O-R-G. Marty's V-Burger. Marty's V-Burger.com. Uh, you can do a uh, takeout or order online in the Queens location. And, of course, he has his brick-and-mortar store in Manhattan. Check out martysvburger.com. Mention Gun for Hire, Gun for Hire Radio, and our loyal listeners and followers get 20% off. Also, you've got to remember, if you live in New York, you want NY, NYTACdefense.com, NYTACdefense.com. It is a legal defense fund for you people living in New York. Any of the boroughs, including New York State, mention Gun for Hire, and you also get 10% off your monthly membership. 
If you live in the other 49 states, U.S. Law Shield, uslawshield.com, one word, gun for hire for a 10% discount. U.S. Law Shield is a legal defense fund. It is not insurance. It is not liability insurance. What I'm doing now is when people are messaging me or emailing me where they can find the $300,000 required liability insurance, I email them back that they need to listen to Gun for Hire Radio. If they don't listen to Gun for Hire Radio, they're not going to know that insurance doesn't start until July unless Dan gets some big wins here. And there is nobody offering insurance at this moment. People are emailing me, I can't carry because I don't have insurance. Who sells insurance in the state? I'm like, you know, you're, that, that means you don't listen to the show. Don't bother me. I'm moving on. Just like if you don't know the peanut butter and jelly password for J Factor, if you did not join CNJFO and you send J a, a, a receipt, he's not going to talk to you. So we'll move on from there. Uh, the U.S. Law Shield. John Petrolino's book, Decoding Firearms, is available at Amazon, Kindle, and at the Gun for Hire Pro Shop. Remember the Quarantine Crawl, quarantinecrawl.com. Over 360 Pro 2A businesses, products, and services. Half the questions I get, if you just go on quarantinecrawl.com, you can find it. If you need a lawyer in northern New Jersey, you find Hartman Winicky. Okay, all your civil stuff that you need, wills, anything else you need. Dan Schmutter happens to be a lawyer at that firm. Maybe we want to support those who support you. Let's think about that. My doctor, uh, Dr. Joe Sampatero, Optimal Health Wellness NJ. Optimal Health Wellness NJ. For a few hundred dollars a month, Dan, Concierge Medicine. You can call him or text him. He comes to you. He calls whatever Zoom calls. It's, it's a phenomenal thing. Look him up. So many people have signed on. If you're in Carteret area, Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club, lakeis.org. Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club is looking for junior rifle members between 12 and 18 years old to learn firearm safety and to compete in small bore and air rifle competition. If you are in the Scotch Plains area, check out Zen Float Center. Sharon and Chris Decker mentioned Gun for Hire. You can go down there and have a nice relaxing day, almost like a spa, but actually floating around. Uh, guiding range, you heard the uh, ad already. If you're in the Monmouth County area, Aberdeen Guns. John at Aberdeen Guns is selling the uh, Gun for Hire book, Crime Proof, down there. And uh, he's got a great store. You know, we have a lot of great little guys all the state. I have customers coming in all the time with a few of the little guys bad-mouthing me. And they'll say, they say they'll never step foot and that other business to get again i always say unity and activism is key support those who support you there's this little guy in northern new jersey his place is on the second floor you know i got a slew of customers coming in telling me he's bad mouthing me and the place here and that they'll never step one guy brought a dozen donuts for the staff he's like you know i feel bad that this guy's bad mouthing he's a bad <laughs> businessman we have to stick together dummies we have to stick together stop it stop newcomers. it stop it. newcomers yes this is going to segue right into Dan. If you want the newest information, where you can carry, where you can't carry, the forms, downloading the forms, the mental health form, what the fees are, who to make the money orders out, go to gunforhire.com. Gunforhire.com. You click on the bubble that says New Jersey carry information. All of the information is there. Matt and Phoebe with direct communication with ANJRPC, obviously, which comes from Dan as well. We update everything. We also get emails from people. My range or my store's website is still has the old form, still has the old fees. I don't know. I, I can't attest to them. I don't go on anybody else's stuff. I don't look. I, I don't want to look. I don't want to get polluted. Gunforhire.com. Go on. Click on the CCW permit page. And all the information you want is right there, okay? So, Dan, let's talk about this. Where can I carry? We have the judge's directive, which makes a million questions. So you can just tell us what what the judge is, what her intention is, or whatever. You use a legal word for that, of where I could carry. So one of the yeses is a bar or restaurant where alcohol is served. I'm sorry, uh, the first one you guys listed, ANJRPs, is any park, beach, or recreational facility owned or controlled by state, county, or muni government or part of the above designated gun-free zone. So talk a little bit about that in English. Sure. So uh, the there are, um, there are 
a number of places that the court has enjoined, meaning has prohibited the rest- well. That's a bad way of putting it. Um, there are a number <laughs> of places that the court really has has set aside um, as far as restrictions, and these restrictions are not currently enforceable uh, by the state. So one of them is a park, park, beach, uh, or recreational facility owned or controlled by a state, county, or local government unit. Um, and uh, that's where that provision also contains playground. But as I explained before, we didn't get an injunction. Uh, we didn't get restraints on the playground part. So the playground prohibition is inf- still enforceable right now. But uh, park, beach, and other recreational facility is not uh, enforceable. And so um, that, that was an important one that we wanted to get. Um, now, we also attached, so this is important. So we also challenged some pre-existing provisions of law that overlap with uh, the newer prohibitions. So there was already uh, a prohibition um, on uh, carrying on state park service property. And so, and that was found in the administrative code at NJAC 7-2-2.17b. So she also restrained that. And, you know, we we thought, you know, we decided, look, just because there's a new law that we want to challenge doesn't mean we should also not challenge uh, other pre-existing restrictions because if we're going to if we if we have a right to relief uh, as to parks well then we should try to get all of the park prohibitions that the state has imposed rather than just the new one and so that we went for both of them and she restrained both of them which we were very pleased with um Murphy was then, not happy about that, by the way. He said the judge made a wrong decision. He said that on News 12 at a press conference. But anyway, um, he's, he's he mistaken. Ju- it was a bad decision from the judge. Isn't that he's great? Mis- and he basically mistaken. said something like, don't follow what the judge says. It was a bad decision. This is the our, our chief executive officer of the state saying that. There you go. Um, but I saw I saw you got that pre-existing law, so we got state parks and service property. So, ahead, Dan, I'm sorry. The next was library and museum, uh, right? Right, a public publicly owned library or museum. Um, oh, publicly owned or leased library or museum. Um, then, as you mentioned, a bar or restaurant where alcohol is served, or any other site or facility where alcohol is sold for consumption on the premises. Uh, that's a big deal. Now, you would you would are, also, as a lawyer, you would recommend that people shouldn't be consuming alcohol and, and carrying a gun, correct? Well, correct, but you also can't because there's another part of the statute that prohibits that. So um, aside right. from the fact that people probably should not be consuming alcohol while they're carrying, uh, but it's also unlawful. So, yeah. The, and and, the, and that's, that, is, um, that is one of the reasons why this provision, uh, which is Section 7A15, a bar or restaurant where alcohol is served, um, is so egregious. You know, this is, we, we said this at oral argument, um, and New Jersey is so um, oppressive when it comes to violating constitutional rights. New Jersey doesn't just prohibit harmful activity or, or activity that they perceive is harmful or risky. They prohibit activity, they prohibit conditions that might conceivably uh, uh, facilitate such activity. So it's not enough to prohibit um, uh, carrying while you are um, consuming alcohol or while you're intoxicated, they have to prohibit uh, carry if you're anywhere near alcohol as if we're all children. You know, we, like we can't exercise self-control if there's a bottle of wine, you know, 50 feet away from us on the bar because we're like uh, moths attached to, attracted to a flame. We can't help ourselves. We have to be, a, you know, we have to run over to the bar and grab a drink. We can't be prudent, responsible adults. You know, this is this is one of the problems with states like New Jersey. You know, New Jersey the treats the citizens like children. And, uh, you know, yep, so it's... it's uh, exactly, it's sort of like the uh, the Bloomberg uh, soda ban in New York City. You know, people like yeah. responsible adults can't decide how how much soda they want to drink, and so we have to treat them like third graders and say you can't buy large sodas. It's really offensive to to the, the very concept of being free people. You know, uh, uh, the the state knows better than us. The state chooses for us because we're you know we're three years old. It's it's really insulting and really offensive. Um, but this is an example of that. Um, the next is 
Yeah. The, the next is um, a private or publicly owned and operated entertainment facility, um, and they give a, a bunch of. It's a very it's a very broad provision, but they give a bunch of examples: theaters, stadiums, museums, arenas, racetracks, um, or other places where performance performances, concerts, exhibits, games, or contests are held. Um, so that was restrained. Uh, now, some of these had been restrained in the previous TRO, in the Coons case, the library and museum, bar or restaurant, entertainment facility, those were these, those had previously been restrained. Um, and then we got casinos, casinos and related facilities, uh, including, or but not limited to, the retail premises, restaurants, bars, entertainment and recreational venues located within the casino but, property. But, uh, but so, don't, don't casinos restrict guns from the casino floor, though? Well, I don't know, but that's a, that's a separate issue, right? So whether the gotcha. place whether whether the casinos choose to restrict guns is is a different issue from whether the state can put you in jail for carrying a gun on a casino property. The state has no say in that. Um, you know, if casinos want to set policies, you know, that's a, that's a whole separate discussion. But the state doesn't get to send you to jail because you're carrying at a casino, and that's the whole point. And that's the that's the constitutional argument. You know, and, that, and that's that's the, the huge difference between these laws that are criminal statutes and how people, for example, decide to, to set rules on private property. It's none of the state's business. It is not their place constitutionally to, to send people to prison for doing something they have a constitutional right to do. Um, and just casinos are another example of that. Um, and casinos now, are another example of where, of where we had pre-existing law as well. Um, there was a, uh, a uh, yes. an administrative code provision that prohibited carrying within a casino or casino simulcast facility. And so the judge restrained both the new casino prohibition and the pre-existing casino prohibition based on the same analysis. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that was new to our, our case. Uh, and then the, now, one of the most important – yeah, go ahead. One of the most important ones was this presumption, this reverse presumption on private property. Um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, Section 7A24, private property unless the owner has provided express consent or has posted a sign indicating that it is permissible to carry on the premises. And so what that provision did is it made every piece of private property in the state of New Jersey presumptively unlawful to carry a handgun. And so if you if you don't know whether the uh, um, carry is permitted, you immediately go to jail if you walk onto someone's property without them having put up a sign or provided some other type of express consent. And so this is another example. This is the state of New Jersey deciding for private property owners that it's going to be unlawful for someone to carry on their premises instead of just leaving it up to the private property owner. Now, the state's argument was a little clever, but completely wrong. They said, well, all we're doing is we're setting the presumption one way versus the other. Um, the presumption otherwise was it's allowed unless the private pro- property owner prohibits it. We're just making it the other way. It's not allowed unless the private, pro- pro- private property owner permits it. The problem with that, uh, it's not simply choosing one equal presumption versus another equal presumption, because the the whole point of Bruin is that people presumptively have a right to carry and you know outside their homes, and so this pro, this presumption flips that on its head by saying you can't carry on any private property unless the owner affirmatively says you can. It makes the whole state or most of the state automatically off limits unless someone takes some affirmative steps to allow you to do it. That's the exact opposite of what of what uh, the holding in Bruin is with well, respect we to the, the fundamental right we, to keep bare arms. You know, we so, knew what the intention with the state was there, to, to trap us, like everything course. else they do. That's what the of, intention was, to get us all course. jammed up. Make it the opposite of what the, what's what's accepted, you know, in the entire country, uh, and, and, and the, just yeah. to jam us up. And the other thing it does, and it's not just a presumption one way or the other, because what it does is it takes anyone who's indifferent, either indifferent to carry or not carry, or doesn't want to have to put up a sign, it automatically makes that prohibited, even though someone doesn't really care one way or the other. It's a prohibited property, um, and so it's not just an equal. It's not just choosing one equal presumption over the other. It, there's an enormous uh, 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 swath of property in the middle of that continuum where it would be prohibited 
um, under the law, but not prohibited if that were, if that were not the law. So it, it actually makes a huge difference. And they knew that, as you said, they knew that this rule would result in much more prohibited property than if the rule were the other way. And they did it on purpose, of course. Um, um, and then, of course, the other very, very important, I mean, these are all important, but the, uh, the other extremely and very pervasive um, restriction that that has been restrained under the, the both TROs is the prohibition on carry uh, in vehicles. That's um, extremely important because, uh, you know, as we said to the judge at oral argument, um, um, what, the, what that provision does, it basically makes you immediately disarm the moment you walk out your door um, because, you know, uh, unless you're walking to work, and I'm sure some people do that, the moment you get in your vehicle, you're disarming right away, like within seconds of walking out your front door, which, again, is exactly the opposite of what uh, Bruin requires. It's exactly the opposite of what's required under the Second Amendment. So th- those were the those were the explicit um, restraints that were imposed by the court, but there were two other very important uh, aspects of the ruling, which I think uh, uh, has been discussed, but I think it bears some a little bit more discussion. So, we brought two. We made two additional arguments, which we thought were actually very important with respect to how the law gets applied. Uh, the first has to do with the interpretation of the prohibition on school, college, university, or other educational institution. Um, that phrase is not uh, is not defined anywhere, and so. Um, there was a concern that um, the phrase school or the phrase, I mean, college university is pretty pretty clear, but school and other educational institution can be quite broad depending upon how it's defined, and there's no definition in the statute. And so, you know, the question became, well, does school include a karate school? Does it include a music school? Does it include, um, you know, a, 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 a professional, you know, continuing professional education. Uh, there's all sorts of things. Does it include Sunday school? You know, Sunday school has the word school in it. You know, uh, uh, karate school has the word school in it. You could have something called the Karate School of West Orange, or you could have something called the Wing Chun Center of Holmdale, right? One of them has the word school in it, one of them doesn't. I mean, does the word, does the name on the sign is, does that have the constitutional? Does that make the constitutional determination? Um, uh, that it can't be that, right? It can't be the name of the institution uh, that determines is it within the criminal prohibition of the law, and that was the point that we made. And you know, um, that was that was. I think we talked about this last time. That was the subject of a really good conversation yes. um, on the record at oral argument, and the state conceded at oral argument that the that school should be narrowly construed as essentially sort of traditional schools, um, uh, such as the kind of things that would be subject to the to the jurisdiction of uh, the Department of Education. You know, sort of schools that the that state regulates as schools, that kind of thing. And so the state uh, um, conceded that it didn't apply to any of the particular examples that we were complaining about. So, for example, not the Taekwondo school that one of our plaintiffs' uh, sons go to, not Sunday school, not Bible classes, not motorcycle classes, not firearm classes, not continuing professional education. So, so now that. That wasn't a specific restraint imposed by the court, but that did that that concept did make its way into the opinion, which we thought was very important. So, uh, so that is yes. of record. That's part of the opinion. Um, that's very helpful on that on that on that concern. And a similar thing happened with respect to what we're calling the multi-use property problem, which is that the way the statute is drafted, it says any part of the grounds premises. Uh, parking lot, etc., of the prohibited uh, uh, property, and so it's not just you know the school building if it's a school, but it's all the grounds and it's all the parking lots, and and that's fine if the property is used for one thing and one thing only. But so much there's so much multi-use property around. So we gave the examples of a strip mall. If you have a daycare center at one end of a strip mall, and then you have a pizza place, a dry cleaner, a tailor shop, and a Wendy's. If you construe that broadly, any part of the grounds, any part of the parking lot, any part of the property, well, then that would automatically uh, restrain, prohibit, um, carry in the pizza place, the Wendy's, the 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 dry cleaner, and the tailor shop. Uh, even though there's no basis in the history under Bruin to prohibit carry in a pizza place or a tailor shop, you know, um, and so and or or in let's say uh, a, a professional building, you have a building that has 
some accounting offices, a real estate office, a couple of law offices, and then on the first floor, you have a, a dentist's office or a doctor's office. Well, again, if you read that broadly, the whole building's restrained, even though there's nothing in the history that would justify, under Bruin, uh, uh, preventing people from um, carrying in an accounting office. You know, so, And then, of course, the church problem, and that you know, two of our plaintiffs... Um, uh, are are uh, uh, asserting claims with respect to carrying at their churches, and again, you have the same <laughs> problem. If you have uh, a school on the premises, you know, lots of houses of worship have schools uh, affiliated with them. Either uh, sometimes they're in the basement, sometimes they're in a separate building, um, uh, but also Sunday schools uh, or Bible classes, things like that. And so the question is: So is the whole church building constrained? Is the whole build, is the whole church building prohibited? Is the is the whole church building rendered defenseless simply because next door you have a, a religious school, or you have a just a traditional K through twelve academy, or whatever, or because you hold Sunday school in the basement? You know, uh, um, when you know when when the, the adults are, are worshiping uh, in the sanctuary. So these this problem was was quite significant, and again um, the state conceded that the statute uh, is not is supposed to be interpreted to uh, extend beyond when you have multi uses on a prop multiple uses on a property should not be construed to extend uh, to common elements like common parking lots common grass areas common you know, hallways elevators things like that um, and to other uses at the site so we were, we were again there's no restraint on that, no injunction on that, but the ruling includes a discussion of the state's concession in that regard. Uh, again, a very important thing that we were challenging, and a very important aspect of, of how one might read the law if one reads it literally. And so we're very pleased that we got that interpretation into the record and into the ruling. I thought that was, we thought that was very, very helpful. You, um, you, know. you had uh, Angela Kai dancing on that one. You, you know what I mean? Because she was trying to justify, you know, keeping the multi-use ban. But you came up with such great analogies that 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 it was indefensible. To be honest with you, and I'm so yeah. glad that that ended up on the record. You know? Yeah. Had they had they tried to defend it on the merits, they would basically be bootstrapping themselves from uh, uses uh, from prohibitions that we did not challenge into prohibitions that they could not possibly justify. You know, there's no way they can justify uh, prohibiting carrying a pizza place. But had they gone the other way in terms of their position, they would be trying to justify prohibiting carrying a pizza place simply because it's next door to a daycare center. So um, mm -hmm. we're very glad that they didn't try to to try to do that, and we're very glad that the judge immediately understood why it was a problem. Uh, the judge saw immediately why it was an issue um, and you know, uh, uh, felt that the that the statute could could pretty readily be construed to not cause that problem, um, and so the state conceded that the construction, the interpretation should be narrow, and therefore uh, to take care of this issue that we were challenging. Yeah, it, it worked out phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. You just uh, you you hit it on the head. So, you know, I still have people coming in daily to the range and go, yeah, I got my carry permit. What good is it? I can't use it in my car. I can't drive with it. Like I'm like, come on, man. We we got to we got to do better. We got to get more educated, you know. And and I know this isn't you, you haven't really been tracking this much, but you know, every town, every county, every judge, they're getting different answers on if they can carry anything that they that they want without qualifying do they have to qualify how they have to get the uh, permit amended do they have to get it vacated from the judge and reinstated etc etc you have i know you're getting killed on this with strike force too you have any insight you can share with this that that's killing us Th that's going to take some time to shake out um yeah you know some some people started out with no no restrictions on which handgun they could carry and some people did of course um you know part of the problem is that um, the judges are now out of the process, basically. I mean, to the extent that there's still applications before the court, those have to, those still have to be resolved by the court. But, but because we're in this sort of hybrid transitional process, those issues are a little bit of a mess. Um, you know, we'll see how they shake out. I know, I know there's, there's uh, some good information about people employing various procedures to get additional handguns added to their permits or uh, getting communications from the court that they don't, uh, that in, in certain, certain circumstances that they don't, they don't have to, that aren't limited to the, the particular handguns. You know, 
unfortunately, it's not uniform statewide. Some people are getting certain messages from the court. Some people are getting other messages from the court. Uh, some of the procedures are a little bit easier to deal with. Some of them are more complicated and, and time-consuming and aggravating. So this is, uh, you know, th- this is going to have to work itself out. Eventually, presumably, that issue will go away, but it's, it's still with us for, for a while. You know, and, and people are getting uh, stonewalled, uh, even though, you know, 1222 was a big date because of you and uh, FPC's case. So people are going to police department and their applications, their, their permits ready. And they're like, well, we need another $150 from you. Well, you need a fourth reference. And they're like, yeah, but I filled out my paperwork in October. If, if it was before, well, we don't care about that. The state police told us we have to do this. And people are bringing the paperwork in and the state and they're showing them it, and they're still giving them a hard time it's it's crazy it's crazy dan keep fighting we're going to let you close with a, a a commercial for your law firm and you'll be on again in a couple more weeks after every after every win we're going to have you on the show How's i appreciate that, that anthony no, that's great <laughs> you can have me on after the losses <laughs> yeah well the yeah you can too. come on after the losses too we love you so we can you can come on after the losses tell us a little bit about your firm <laughs> and how we can find you Hartman and Winicky in Ridgewood, New Jersey. We are a general practice firm, small general practice firm for individuals and businesses. Um, we do uh, transactions, real estate and commercial transactions. We do leasing. We do wills. Uh, it's a really nice practice for the individual or the small or large business. Perfect. Hartman, Winicky, Ridgewood, New Jersey. Support those who support you. Sandy, close us out. Well, the clock on the wall does say it all. It looks like you've wasted yet another perfectly good hour listening to Gun For Hire Radio. Gun For Hire Radio is a counterthink media production. The music used in this broadcast is managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, master trainer, Anthony Calandro, author of Crime Proof, Think Like a Criminal and Beat Them at Their Own Game, available wherever great books are sold, and especially at the gun shop, bookshop, gun range known as Gun For Hire, where maybe he'll sign it for you for an extra 20 bucks. From the shadows of the New York City skyline, and this week from the beautiful Gulf shores of the state of Alabama, God willing, Jesus tarries, and the batteries hold out. We will see you again next week. We'll be right back. 